Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every spring, our Jewish friends and neighbors gather, usually in each other's homes, for a meal. For several nights in a row, they feast. And if you've ever been to a Passover Seder meal, you know immediately that this is no ordinary dinner party, right? There are things on the table, there are foods that are there that are are different, unusual, things that you wouldn't normally encounter going over to a friend's house for supper. There's parsley and salt water and this strange sort of apple mixture and a cracker that's telling you it's bread, but it's not, it's a cracker, right? There's all these weird things there. They're different. And so, built into the Passover Seder ritual is an invitation to the youngest person there, usually a child, to ask the oldest person there, what's different about this night? Clearly it's different. Why are we doing this? What's this about? And the older person responds with a story. Thousands of years ago, we were slaves in Egypt. And we cried out for mercy. And God heard and God responded. And with a mighty hand, God came down into Egypt and delivered us through the Red Sea and brought us to a good land, a broad land flowing with milk and honey. Why is this night different? Let me tell you a story. And then we eat the story of our salvation. We eat our way through and literally consume the story of the ancients, so that it goes with us wherever we go. We gather here for worship, and when we gather here, it is also a dinner party. We're here for a meal. That's why that one is underlined, for those of you who are like super anal and have asked me about that. That's why. That's why we're here. It's a meal. Okay? It's the most important thing we do. But like a Passover Seder, it's obvious that this is not your average, normal dinner party. It looks different, right? The cups and plates are special. The food is very spare, right? Just a a little morsel of bread and a, a little dip of wine or grape juice. Not much to go by. And yet for us, it is the food of life. And I wonder if maybe once in a while it might be helpful for us to invite the youngest among us to ask the oldest among us, why do we do this? What is this meal about? What, what is different about this food? To which we would respond, oh, let me tell you a story. A story of when we were slaves in Egypt. When we were exiles in Babylon. When we were wandering in the wilderness. When we finally came home. A time when we toiled under Roman oppression. A time when we had some semblance of power. We were settled. We were sassy. We were in charge. And we forgot who God is. And that God is indeed the one true king of our lives. And in each and every time when we toiled under oppression or we forgot who God was, in that dark and dangerous period, God reached down, entered into that story, into that time, into our lives And with a mighty hand, brought us to safety, delivered us. And so we gather today to eat the story of our salvation. We eat the story of our deliverance. This is not much of a meal, 
by nutritional standards. A a tiny bit of bread and a a little bit of juice isn't exactly going to make or break your daily diet. But it is wrapped in words. It is surrounded with story. You see, we gather here to eat the story of our salvation. And stories matter. Words matter. You know that. You know that. Ezekiel knew that. I love this story from the prophet Ezekiel, where God writes probably on lambskin or some form of paper, and and literally writes the words that he wants Ezekiel to speak. And Ezekiel eats them. Literally chews on the word of God, and it becomes a part of his body, because that's what story does. That's what words do. They literally become a part of us, and he becomes the prophet that God's people truly needed. And that's what words do. As I mentioned in the weekly email this week, which I know you all pour over as soon as it hits your inbox, if you doubt the power of stories to literally shape our lives, just ask any person who has been told and who has told herself throughout her entire life the story of being fat. And just listen to all the ways in which that story has been circumscribed and and proscribed and, and inscribed on not just her psyche, her soul, her spirit, but indeed her very flesh and blood. Because that's what story does. It shapes our whole lives. And we are awash in words. We are swimming in stories. They are bombarding us, barraging us from every corner all the time. From the the screed of the screeching voices on Facebook and on cable news and and in all of the corners of our lives. From the, the, the advertisers screaming at you about what you need and really, really want. And, and all of the wares that they're hawking with all their words. The stream of barely intelligible, very poorly spelled text messages. All of these words of, of kindness and judgment and affirmation and encouragement. They're all barraging us day after day, telling us who we are, what we can aspire to, what we can hope for, the the constant babble of people desperately seeking meaning, often in all the wrong places. We are swimming in stories. And they matter, they shape us, they change us. And so the question is, what should we be listening to? What stories ought we care most about? And so we gather here. We carve out a little space and time, and we leave all those other words in the parking lot. We'll be back to you in an hour or so, although some we might choose to leave behind, depending on what we hear. But we leave all that other noise, and we gather here. We carve out space and time to feast on the Word of God, to eat the story of our salvation to strain our ears and learn what it is to listen for good words, holy words, life-giving words. And we do that by gathering around a book. A book and a meal, these things alone tell us who we are. This book is our dear friend who accompanies us in all our journeys. In this book is, is challenge for those who must be challenged and comfort for those who desperately need comfort. This book tells us who God is for us, 
It tells us who God was for us thousands of years ago. It is the story of life. And yet, as Lutherans, we believe that even in this text, this book, not all words are created equal. If you know that, you've probably heard it or felt it deeply. That might sound a little bit weird to to some circles of Christians, but for us and our brand of Lutherans, it's just the way we talk about this. Not all these words are created equal. I grew up in a, a, a community where pretty much everybody was Christian, and most of the Christians in that community were the kind of Christians who had figured everything out, right? They knew exactly what God thought about everything, especially those people, whoever those people are. You know what I'm talking about. And indeed, our second reading from today, from 2 Timothy, where it says, all scripture is inspired by God. In their Bibles, it said, God breathed, right? Like God just rattled it off and a secretary wrote it like like a dictation session. And I heard that one all the time growing up. Especially when it came time for us to argue. I sometimes like to argue, not always, but every once in a while. Especially when it comes to friends of mine. And we would have these conversations about some of the conclusions that they had come to about who was in and who was out and who God could or couldn't possibly love. And and as we had those conversations, boy, they'd truck that one out a lot. Well, every word in Scripture was breathed by God. And then, of course, we'd look at all the weird and wacky stuff and they really, that one? But that's a story for another day. I knew somehow instinctually that that words that were twisted into clubs of judgment to beat neighbors over the head just couldn't possibly be the good word of God. It couldn't be. But it wasn't until I went to college that I I first really heard something that, that I could sink my teeth in and hold on to that. I went to my first class of Christian ethics with the great professor and pastor Jim Martin Schramm, wonderful man, mentor, and friend. And on the first day of class, he told the story of the first day of his first Bible class when he was in college. The professor, also a pastor, an old, wizened man, a a, a man who just reeked of respect and dignity, you know, the, the type. And he stood in front of that class and he took a Bible and with all his might he hurled it at the wall and it exploded. Pages went everywhere. Dust flew up. And the whole class just sat wrapped with, inten- with attention. It was like they just witnessed a flag burning on the 4th of July. What is he doing to this sacred text? He said, friends, that's how I feel about the Bible. But then he went over and he knelt down, his knees creaking with age. And tenderly, lovingly, with the kind of care one would show in bathing a newborn infant. He placed each page back where it belonged. And when he was done, he picked it up and he cradled it in his arms like a, like a nursing mother. And he said, this is how I feel about the word of God. Never confuse the two. That's the gift and heritage we have received in this holy book. It's not, a, it's not an idol to be worshipped. It is a living word that breathes new life into dying people. We gather here to feast on stories that give life. Stories of people drowning in darkness and despair and a God who cannot and will not leave us alone, but whose promise endures forever. A God who feeds us 
with God's own body, blood, and promise. Promise to never leave us alone. That, friends, is the gift and heritage of the Word. The Word made flesh. The Word we gather to eat as we feast on the story of our salvation. And when we do, it tastes good. If it tastes like poison, friends, spit it out, because the Word of God tastes like honey, the honey that flows in the promised land. That's what Ezekiel discovered that day, and that's what we taste and see ourselves. It never ceases to amaze me, despite the fact that it happens all the time, that I'll be visiting with someone whose dementia has stolen any kind of clarity they once had, or someone who's nearing the end of their baptismal journey, cancer having befuddled their brains. And, and we'll be chatting, and the conversation goes everywhere and anywhere, and it's interesting, but kind of hard to follow. But then it's time to celebrate communion. And we have a dinner party. It's simpler than this, but it's the same feast. And we read. And I read scripture. And we pray prayers that are drawn from this same scripture. And I turn to the well-worn pages, well-worn because they so clearly and succinctly proclaim this word of promise, the John 3.16s and Romans 8 and Psalm 23. And as I read, lips begin to move, lips that just recently didn't even know their own name. And then we say the words of institution, Words given to us by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians. Words that he himself borrowed or handed to him like a sacred inheritance by those who gathered with Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. And lips begin to move. And we pray the prayer Jesus taught us right there in Matthew, Mark. And lips begin to move. Because these words are written on our very flesh and bones. They are part of who we are. And they tell us what God is for us. Not long ago, I was with a a woman who uh, had very advanced dementia. It was very hard to follow, but she was a lovely woman. It came time to celebrate communion. And I read Psalm 23. And as I began to read, she closed her eyes and her lips began to move. But it wasn't as though she were reading or speaking, it was like she was chewing, tasting every word. And the look on her face was as serene and ecstatic and delighted as if she were savoring the richest, finest, tastiest, sweetest pastry made by the finest chef in all of France. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come to the feast, for we have gathered to eat the story of our salvation, to be filled with God's own mighty word. And if it tastes good and sweet, if it tastes like life, if it tastes like salvation and hope, then let your lips speak. Thanks be to God. Amen.